I'm Megan King. And I'm Sydney Bordignaw, and this is The Curve. Welcome to The Curve, a Canadian-born podcast series following the latest on the COVID-19 crisis. Each episode, will look at the indirect effects that this pandemic has had on Canada and the world. Due to social distancing regulations during the pandemic, all interviews have been recorded via Zoom or phone call. This may affect the audio quality of certain interviews. We believe that this accurately reflects the daily challenges of working from home that many Canadians are facing during this time. This episode, we're looking to the future. Scientists around the world are working towards a coronavirus vaccine. Right now, there are several experimental vaccines in the works at various stages of trial. The idea being that the vaccine will help society return to a sense of normality and prevent further death. Western University has received funding by the Canadian Institute of Health Research for work in relation to COVID-19. One of the scientists tasked with working on the vaccine is Dr. Stephen Barr. Dr. Barr is an associate professor within the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at the Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry. We were able to speak with him about how research is coming along and what the road to a vaccine looks like. Hello, Dr. Barr. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks. So you are one of the leading researchers working on the vaccine at Western University, but you've actually been looking at pandemics and epidemics for much longer, from H1N1 in 2009 to Ebola to Zika in 2015. Were you expecting a pandemic like COVID-19 to happen? Yes, it's uh, it's almost uh, inevitable that a pandemic would arise just because of how the human population is interacting more and more with wildlife. And this comes from, you know, whether there's food shortages or uh, the population more expanding into, you know, rainforests, that increased interaction with wildlife, which harbor their own viruses that have never seen humans, uh, humans before. So that chance of exposure and for that virus to jump the species barrier from animals into humans is ever increasing. So it was without doubt that a more serious outbreak that could have the potential to turn into a pandemic like COVID-19 would occur. Now, Western's efforts are being put towards establishing and testing an effective vaccine for the virus that causes COVID-19. What does that vaccine creation process look like and what stage of research is your team in? So whenever uh, you want to design or develop a vaccine, the first sort of step is to identify a component of the virus that you can use to train your immune system in order to recognize it. So what we've done and several other labs use a similar approach is that we identify a protein that's found on the surface of the virus. And this is a protein that's exposed to our immune system. So it's natural that this is a target that we would want to use. So we would take that particular protein, which in the case with SARS-CoV-2, it's called the spike protein. And if you picture a, you know, those child's toy that's a ball that has suction cups on the outside of it, those suction cups are the spike proteins. So when they stick to cells, they use this in order to get into the cell. And so we take that protein and we put it into a vaccine. And for our team, we're using a system developed by Dr. Yang Kang, who's a team member. He uses that vaccine as a a vehicle to take that SARS protein and put it into the body. And so we use a different virus that doesn't cause human disease. It's a vesicular stomatitis virus. 
And we use that virus to deliver the spike protein to our immune system. And the idea is that it will train our immune system to recognize that spike protein so that when we become infected with the actual virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, our body is ready to recognize it as a foreign pathogen. And then, of course, our immune system would kick in and target and destroy that virus. Incredible. And what stage uh, is your uh, team currently at then with that? Right. So we have uh, just finished developing the actual vaccine itself. And so the next steps, which we're hoping to finish in the next one to two months, is to test that vaccine for toxicity and its ability to initiate a strong immune reaction in animals, small animals. And so over the next uh, couple months here, we're hoping to get that preliminary preclinical trial data. And we're very optimistic about it. Uh, based on some preliminary data from the MERS vaccine that Dr. Yang Kang has developed previously, and it's the same platform that we're using, and that has been shown to be safe and to induce a very strong reaction. So we are very optimistic that the SARS-CoV-2 one that we're using right now will follow that same path. That's very good to hear. And I know the team is also developing a vaccine bank. What is that? Yeah, so we're also planning for the future. So future outbreaks are almost inevitable. And of course, among those outbreaks, there is that potential chance for another pandemic to occur. So what we're doing is we're taking a look at other coronaviruses that are out there in the wild, uh, namely in other animals like bats. And we're taking those coronaviruses and we're taking the spike proteins of those viruses and we're seeding into our own vaccine right now uh, those particular proteins. So the idea is to generate thousands of different vaccines that we can test right now in the lab and develop those into what we call seed vaccines. So once we develop that bank, we can freeze it in our our lab. And in the future, when an outbreak occurs, we can identify that particular coronavirus and track it back to our lab bank so we can identify the vaccine that we had already previously established and use that to deploy to those regions of the world where it could help slow or prevent that particular outbreak. Mm-hmm. Really try to get ahead of the game there. Exactly, because it takes a lot of time to develop a vaccine once an outbreak occurs or a pandemic. So as you can know, as you can tell right now, you know, months are, are taken to really establish that and develop that vaccine and then to test it, safety testing, and then to mass produce it. Mm -hmm. So if we can take out those first steps up to before that mass production, we would save tremendous amount of time in being able to deploy these vaccines quickly before it gets out of hand. Most definitely. And even taking that time into consideration, already this pandemic has shown how quickly researchers are able to work on these vaccines. Uh, Many countries have been involved in the vaccine creation process, and there has also been collaboration between countries. Do you feel as though this is a global partnership to find a, a cure? Are scientists supporting each other in the effort for vaccine? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so in conditions like this pandemic, virtually all research is shut down in the world, except for COVID-19 research. Mm-hmm. And so governments have put in a lot of money to their researchers to really develop a, a vaccine or some sort of therapeutic. And it has been a real global uh, collaboration because there's been a lot of sharing of information, so, uh, whether it be the sequence of the virus 
or other people sharing their vaccine platforms and telling us, you know, what works and what doesn't work in their hands. So it saves us time. Mm-hmm. Um, sharing of reagents, you know, so they've developed tools to be able to look at this virus. So that has been very uh, collaborative worldwide. So we've received, you know, reagents from Switzerland, uh, from the U.S., uh, so from the U.K. as well. There's a lot of collaborations that are going on with the ultimate end goal of, of being able to produce not only one vaccine, but uh, a handful of vaccines that have the potential to work mm-hmm. because one vaccine may not work in every population. So they have to have some backups and some other alternative approaches um, that can be used. Definitely. And uh, I know you touched on this earlier, but in terms of Western's efforts, how confident are you that your team will be able to create this vaccine? Uh, We're very confident. Uh, We have a very strong established platform in uh, place that uh, has gotten some preliminary data from previous uh, work. So if everything goes smoothly, we anticipate that towards the end of the year, we should have enough uh, data, safety data and and effectiveness uh, data to really push into phase one and phase two clinical trials. So we're uh, we're really optimistic here. We'll have a better idea in the next couple months. But so far, everything has been going according to our plan and according to our timeline. Amazing. And if Western were to come up with a vaccine, what would that mean for the university? Well, of course, it puts uh, university uh, on the, the global map. I mean, it already is. We have lots of international collaborations. Mm-hmm. But to be able to contribute something that's going to help you know the world population obviously that brings a lot of attention and 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 a lot of uh interest Mm -hmm. and it will probably spark a number of different collaborations in the future to develop other vaccines for other viruses or similar viruses uh down the road most definitely i i know the big question going around is when because many experts are advising that life cannot go back to quote unquote normal until a vaccine is found do you agree with this yeah, it's it's when when a virus gets into the population like this, such a large number of people, that virus is in that population for a long time, and it's very difficult to get rid of it unless we self quarantine everybody for fourteen days around the world mm-hmm. until the virus dies out. But that's almost impossible. So it's always going to be this low level of infection that's around. Uh, some people say that it might become a yearly infection. That's you know like the flu that sparks up every so often. But I think uh, a vaccine is definitely the best way to maximize uh, the chance of getting back to normal and and to, uh, you know, get people back into the workforce. And, and, you know, drugs may also work as too. A vaccine is one approach, but Mm -hmm. drugs can also um, help with that as well. If you can sort of stop that virus from replicating, it's not going to spread. So, there's many different angles that people are looking at, and it may be a combination of both that ends up working in the end. Mm-hmm. We've we've actually already seen some labs working on the vaccine are into the advanced study phase. In the UK currently, they've put out um, 10,000 10, people are being immunized to determine whether a possible vaccine is successful. This type of speed when creating a vaccine is quite unprecedented. Do you believe that a successful vaccine will be ready as soon as the fall, like some are hoping for? <laughs> the fall might be a little bit optimistic in yeah. my opinion, but um, I would say definitely within a year, something will probably emerge as being a leading candidate. So a lot of the vaccines that are really showing promise and, and that are more fast-tracked are ones that are based on 
vaccine platforms that have used in the past that have been shown to be safe and effective in people. So it's going to be really interesting and exciting to see the results of some of these uh, trials that are like this one in the UK that has advanced to a large number of people because it really gives you an idea of, of how effective that vaccine will be. Mm-hmm. And even if it is, you know, let's say 50% effective, it's better than nothing. So it's uh, it's going to be really optimistic, I mm-hmm. think. It's amazing to see it on such a grand scale and that it will also have an effect on other researchers. But this quick turnaround time also has many worried about possible long-term effects of a vaccine that is so new. Is this concern reasonable? Would there be those type of effects? Um, it's it's always reasonable to to have that concern which is why a lot of these vaccines that are entering clinical trials quite rapidly are ones that have shown to be um, safe and effective in the past. So the newer ones that haven't been developed before will have a longer timeline in order to get that safety data. But any sort of vaccine that is released and used in the population will have gone through a rigorous uh, safety testing. So they go through the same clinical phase one, two, and three trials. And so it's, uh, I mean, there's always a little bit of risk with any sort of drug or vaccine that is developed, but on the grand scale, it is going to be just as effective as, you know, the yearly flu shot or your typical immunizations that uh, take place throughout your life. I know, unfortunately, we've seen some people reacting controversially to uh, vaccines saying that they would be unwilling to take it themselves. What would that mean for the the impact of the vaccine if people weren't willing to take it? Well, of course, it's always a choice that if people don't want to take a vaccine, uh, they don't have to. But uh, at the same time, you got to look at uh, your situation and who are you putting at risk if you were to get infected. So people that you know interact with the elderly a lot or have parents or grandparents or young kids, I mean, that risk is something that everyone has to take into account. And if there is a vaccine that's available, it's proven safe. And so there's no you know, reason not to take it in that sense. Uh, so it's, it really uh, it comes down to proper education and uh, really letting people know what the vaccine is, how it works, and why it works. Most definitely. And just to uh, end here, is there any words of advice you'd have for people during this time uh, that are just at home or dealing with the pandemic? Uh, so it, words of advice is really <laughs> just to try to stay healthy mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. You just want to uh, you know, really avoid those high-risk areas avoid touching your face and uh, really just making sure you have good hand washing. Mm -hmm. The virus can't get into your face or your nose or your eyes. You're not going to get infected. So really, if you can prevent that, you're more than safe. Yep. So if you just hang in there and I think something will be up here on the horizon very soon and we should be able to get back to normal, uh, I would say, (laughs) in about a year. Uh, Fully normal. That's my opinion. But uh, I think there will always be a level of awareness now, even more so than there was before, which is always a good thing because that will also help reduce other infections like the flu and the common cold. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great to hear. Thank you so much for your time. It's so appreciated. Yeah, thank you.
This pandemic will be known as a pivotal moment in modern-day history. Wanting to capture the events associated, Western Libraries has begun archiving COVID-19 works from the people of London, Ontario. We spoke with Western University archivist Leslie Thomas-Smith about the initiative and what it will mean for informing future generations. Hi, Leslie. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Could you first explain to us what the Western Archives is creating? It's a project intended to capture uh, the experiences of London uh, to the COVID-19 pandemic. That's very interesting. I'm just kind of curious, why did the Western Libraries decide to create this archive? Well, uh, as archivists, we care about history, obviously, and we knew that history was being made right now, and we really wanted the opportunity to give people a chance uh, to have how they feel memorialized. What do you hope to accomplish with what you gather? Well, the goal is for a research collection that in the future historians will be able to use uh, to talk about this time. Have you found that you've received any especially interesting submissions? Were there any submissions that really stood out to you so far? Oh, so many. Uh, we, we just got a collage over the weekend of a medical person and it was really neat. Um, <laughs> we also got three mu music videos, uh, which are all parodies involving COVID-19 in the songs. Uh, we have a lot of signs. Uh, there's some photos from a Mother's Day visit where they're off at a distance uh, from the mother who's taking the photographs. So that's kind of neat um, because that really documents the kind of experience a lot of people would have on special days. Uh, we have a poem. We have watercolors that someone created while he was isolating. Uh, we have a picture of banana bread, <laughs> boarded up businesses. And we also have an option for people to answer some questions. Um, so that gives people a chance to really put their personal stories in. Uh, so those are really interesting as well. So that's really a lot of involvement from the entire, I guess, London Middlesex community then. It is, it is, and hopefully more. Uh, definitely. Why do you think it's important to archive this information um, and when it's just really from uh, anyone that can submit? Well, and, and that's the most important part, actually, that it is anyone. Uh, historically, in archives, we've tended to collect things. Um, of sort of the more affluent people, more educated, uh, whereas we don't have a lot from just ordinary people. Now, in the past, literacy was an issue and things like that. And now, uh, digital uh, assets are a problem because they're not being preserved. So people are writing these things. They're not writing journals on paper anymore. And so this is a way to capture that and to capture real people. Yeah. And just to touch on that, um, when it comes to past archives, has Western libraries been able to create archives like this one in the past, perhaps during SARS or anything of that sort? No, we've never done this before. Brand new then. It is. And obviously technology plays a huge part in this that we wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. Uh, we have material from various events that other people have donated to us. But in terms of us collecting it, um, going out to the public and asking for things, this is unique. Wow, that's amazing. How can we take this information and learn from it, do you think? Oh, it tells us so much. <laughs> um, 
there is such a range of things that people are saying. People are either, either miserable or are really happy during this period. It tells us about the time. We all know the experience of, you know, walking down the street and going off the sidewalk onto the road because someone's coming. Whereas that's not something that we'll necessarily talk about in 50 years, but that's part of the whole experience. And that's what we want people to know about. Yeah, and just like a time capsule, I suppose this would be just something even interesting to uh, think back to nostalgic-wise. Oh, absolutely. And it's also available now. We're not just holding it all in until the future. People can actually look at their submissions now unless they've asked for us not to publish it at the moment. That's amazing. And how can they contribute if um, they'd like to to this archive? Well, they can go to our webpage at vern, V-E-R-N-E dot lib dot uwo dot ca slash s slash COVID-19. And when you get to that page, you'll see an option for uploading digital content. So people can put photos, videos, audio, or textual files, just about anything in there. And then there's also a separate option for questions and answers. So that's the opportunity for people to just say about what's going on for them. Do you have any recommendations for the type of um, uh, submission that you'd like people to give in? Oh, I'd like them to surprise me. Uh, anything, you know, take take a photograph of your child's art and submit that. Uh, interview a kid about what it's being like, what it's like being homeschooled. Um, pictures, humor, humor is really good. Um, serious as well, but the humorous ones uh, really kind of stand out as well. Most definitely, that really brings up the mood during these times, and I know a lot of people going through hardships, so it's a little bit of positivity. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. And I myself will be contributing to this. I'd love to be a part of Western's archives of history. Glad to hear it. Yes. <laughs> Have a great day, Leslie. Thank you. Although we are only halfway through 2020, the year has seen a global pandemic, worldwide Black Lives Matter protests, as well as many lives changed due to the underlying effects of COVID-19. With many vaccines in the works and policies changing, we look to the future with hope for change. Change that will enable us to be kinder to one another and closer, both socially and physically. 